We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie here in studio. And I'm talking, of course, with Mario Puig. There is a lot to get to today. Obviously, things have been absolutely insane since the last time that we recorded for a big, wide variety of reasons today. We're going to try to keep it focused on the football side of things with the NFL opting to uh, keep keep on moving as far as its uh, new year schedule is concerned and starting the new league year uh, with the legal tampering period uh, opening up on Monday and then uh, with things supposedly going official uh, later on today, Wednesday, uh, when we're recording. But uh, first of all, Mario, how's it going? Oh, pretty good, John. How are you doing? Uh, I mean been pretty bored these last few days but uh you know that's better than most of the alternatives so i mean uh been able to digest a fair bit of this nfl news so i'm ready to uh, to get into it yeah i'm just uh like at this point a brain with cords attached to it the cords go to the tvs and like internet devices and i'm okay like this uh, i guess most people it might not suit like someone like you who goes outside uh i'm i'm built for this and and um, it comes naturally to me so uh yeah i've, I've got all the f- all the numbers all the, all the football things are just plugged directly into my brain and i can i can copy and paste them into this podcast now beautiful well i'm i'm clicking control uh c in that case here let's uh let's open things up with the biggest news 
of this uh, of this cycle here, uh, and that would be the Tom Brady decision to not only leave uh, New England but to go to Tampa Bay. Uh, initials TB. Uh, so the brand synergy, tremendous. Whoa. Uh, yeah, right? And uh, who knows what's going to happen with with him wearing number 12. I, I mean, I imagine he'll just give Chris Godwin a pretty penny uh, for that number. But, I mean, what what uh, is your reaction there? Like, what did you expect going into this? And what did you make of the landing spot? I mean, there, there were, you know, a few suitors that, that fell off over the course of the of the final few days there. Um, it felt like it was, it was like a 50-50. He's either going back to New England or... or uh, with some of the suitors dropping out, like like a, the Chargers, um, it felt like Tampa Bay really rose to the top of that list there. So what, what were your thoughts overall? I kind of understand why Bruce Arians wanted to go this way in, in, in so far as I understand, uh, you know, the, the sort of calculation he's trying to make. Like it's Jameis Winston is the sort of extreme version of recklessness in a quarterback and, and you know, the – the embodiment of unreliability and having gone through all the stress of those uh, 40 turnovers or whatever and uh, all the inconceivable ups and downs it makes sense for Bruce Arians to gravitate toward what he thinks is stability you know the polar opposite of Jameis Winston and for whatever it's worth good or bad Tom Brady is exactly that uh, but that comes with some downside too it's like Jameis Winston uh, for all his issues it's he's willing and somewhat capable of chucking the ball downfield, which suits the skill set of Mike Evans. And uh, obviously they worked well with Chris Godwin last year, but with Tom Brady, there's just the simple reality that Bruce Arians needs to adjust his offense for Tom Brady to work in it. Because if you try to put Tom Brady out there and just call the same plays, like, don't get me wrong. It might, it might have like a better uh, war result than (laughs) James Winston in that role, but it's still not going to quite, work on rhythm there's still going to be uh there's going to be times where brady's basically forced to throw the ball away or throw it further downfield than he's than he's capable of and so bruce arians will have to be more pragmatic than he's ever been and given the oj howard incident from last year i don't have much reason to believe arians is capable of pragmatism but uh you know a, a kind of humbling experience like last year could to be fair, be the kind of thing that gets even a stubborn person to re-examine their methods. Yeah, so I think, I think maybe having that... having Brady there is such like a, a crazy turn of events for him that you would have to imagine if he's willing to go that far that you have to imagine he's also willing to change some things up about uh, the way he's going to go about things. Yeah, maybe Jameis Winston was so traumatic to Bruce Arians that Bruce Arians actually hates throwing downfield now. Maybe he's like, I'm a West Coast offense guy now. And if that's the case, then yeah, I guess Tom Brady could work. Uh, he won't make as many you know stupid throws as Winston like that. We can take for you know granted several times over. Um, the question is, especially in Mike Evans's case, I think like how will his application look in the offense with Brady there? Because Brady still when he gets a clean pocket and when he know when he's got the defense fully red on a play, even the last two years, he's made some nice downfield throws. The problem is he hasn't shown the ability in the past couple of years to do it from the typical look. Like he needs everything perfectly lined up to make those kinds of throws. And there's no reason to think, especially if the, if especially if the Tampa Bay offense maintains the pass attempt volume that it has, like he's just going to have to make throws from situations that he's not necessarily comfortable in. And when he's in those situations, is he going to chuck it 
at Evans anyway and hope for the best? Or will he be more check down prone than Winston was? And it, I think it's the second one. Like, I, I think Mike Evans will be fine. Like, I want to be clear about that. But he has that kind of 1,400-yard, 1,500-yard upside in a Jameis Winston offense. I think in a Brady offense, it's probably liable to be capped at 1,300. So, that I mean, could – oh, to, sorry. To put your feet to the fire here a little bit then, I mean, there was like a little bit of hot takiness last summer to like, do you like Chris Godwin more than Mike Evans? But like now I think that with the infusion of Brady into this offense and the presumed, you know – toning down of of the downfield element to this offense at least to an extent here i mean if you look at the average depth of throw uh for both of those quarterbacks james winston 10.7 that's second in the league last year among qualified quarterbacks brady 8.1 which is you know to contextualize it that's in kyle allen uh land so i think that maybe there is a legitimate chance that godwin is the receiver to have in tampa bay for fantasy though yeah i think there's a like i wouldn't argue against someone keeping Evans first between the two but I agree with you I would probably have to lean toward Godwin because he's a just really really good like there's a non-zero chance that Godwin a few years from now we look back and we say yeah he was better than Evans we might say we might say Godwin was a top four or five receiver in the league all this time a few years from now for for all we know so uh given how good he's been for his own part and given that he just objectively operates more consistently and at a uniquely high level in the part of the field that brady has thrown to for the past couple years it's it's just feels like there's less risk with him Mm -hmm. and i think i think there could be i think there could be a scenario where evans is like totally fine and Maybe maybe there's even a possibility of something like fewer turnovers in the Tampa Bay offense means more, uh, you know, first downs, longer drives, more scoring opportunities. Like maybe Evans gets capped at 1,200 yards, but maybe he catches I don't know 10 more passes because their his depth of target goes down and his his difficulty of a catch on any given target gets lowered and and um, you know maybe he just does fine with that. But if there's not that kind of like reliable 12 to 14 touchdown upside then especially in ppr scoring it just seems like evans is kind of working at a handicap relative to godwin who seems like a you know a shoe in for 90 plus catches in this sort of look yeah i think so too so you know i i enjoy uh like aesthetically i love like a mike evans type just like dominating down the sideline type of thing but at this stage i just do feel like the Brady fit is more so with Chris Godwin. And, you know, so we talk about the two primary targets in this offense, and you figure that, that these guys both are going to be pushing well into the triple digits as far as targets for, for this season goes. But another, you know, key staple of Brady in, in years past, and maybe that's uh, based on personnel and them not being able to find a great outside receiver um, to complement Julian Edelman, um, but he Brady has leaned on the tight ends and the running backs as you know his security blankets here, and we, we talked about the checkdowns. Does this bolster you know a, a uh, an OJ Howard? It, can we can we like pull ourselves out of the rubble and, and like buy back in on OJ Howard? Does this boost Ronald Jones? Ronald Jones's stock as a, as like a PPR candidate. I, I saw him, you know, kind of get tossed in as one of the core guys in this offense. I'm not necessarily uh, sold on that. I, I could see them going after a running back in this class here. So, what do you make of the other options in this Tampa Bay offense now? 
It's tough because I still like O.J. Howard a lot, but I just don't know if the Arians offense can use him to his, the best of his abilities. The Arians offense, the way it's generally worked, has been a three-receiver base, and the tight end is there to largely block. It's it, like the tight end is there as a safety measure. It's not an attacking measure. Like the tight end in the Arians offense is supposed to help out with an offensive tackle if there's a, a problematic edge rushing threat. And other than that, he's supposed to be a like six yard downfield check down option for the quarterback. And that's why you saw Cameron Brait get so many more targets per snap, uh, get more work as a pass catcher. Or, sorry, run more routes generally per snap than O.J. Howard. Uh, O.J. Howard, I think, is very good, but I think you need to use him as more like a seam threat tight end. I don't think it's really in his uh, strengths to, to use him on curl routes underneath. He's not admittedly, he does not have the best hands of a tight end. Like the way he hurts a defense is by presenting a big catch radius that moves fast down the field. And especially in a context of an offense like this, I feel like that should work normally because the, the safeties have to choose which way they want to lose. In that case, they have to choose like, do I want to help on Evans? Do I want to help on Godwin? I can't help on all three of these people. And, O.J. Howard at 6'6", 250 is actually faster than Mike Evans. So send him downfield. Make the defense chase him. And if they don't, chuck the ball downfield and watch him you know, be too fast and huge to, to be stopped in that case. But Arians just kept him shallow for the most part, and he's not good at that. And I think you could see like the Arians offense wants to use a tight end more like Brait than like Howard because Howard you have to use more like a wide receiver. And for whatever reason, Bruce Arians just wouldn't consider – using oj howard simply as a wide receiver it would make more sense to just have a three receiver set of oj howard outside mike evans outside and chris godwin in the slot than what they did last year but there's just i don't think there's a serious chance of that happening so maybe brady is good for howard in that brady throws more to the tight end than than winston did but i don't think i still feel like it's it's just like not using howard correctly if you use howard correctly you have him running far downfield. You don't have him blocking that much. Uh, athletically, he should he, he should be considered similar to someone like Vincent Jackson, but because of his technical tight end classification, Arians just can't think of using him like that. Yeah, it's been it's been a, obviously a frustrating run as as for the uh, OJ Howard believers, you and I. But uh, maybe uh, this will get things turned around. I, I'm I'm not going to hold my breath on it, but I mean I agree with your overall. Uh, you know, breakdown on, on what I will brings s- to the table. Yeah, sorry. I will say that I I can imagine Tom Brady kind of offsetting his downfield throwing issues by making a special effort to target guys who have a size advantage over who's covering them. And Howard, you know, f- for as much as he might not be the short area coordination guy to, to catch a quick tight end screen and, you know, run away with grace after the catch, he probably is a really good just toss the ball up and see if he can get it kind of guy. And I think Brady, he, he understands defensive leverage really well. And if he sees Howard uh, with with a linebacker on him and, and the linebacker's back is turned, I can imagine Brady just chucking him at it, chucking it at him in those cases because, uh you know, it's, his downfield accuracy is suffering, yes, but with with the kind of catch radius that a guy like O.J. Howard has, and if O.J. Howard is running from the middle of the field where he's nearer yet to Tom Brady, it's kind of like missing a barn, you know, the broadside of a barn at that point. It's like it's even if you're inaccurate, 
Howard's such a hulking figure who can cover so much ground. It's just, just put it somewhere away from the defense and see if Howard is the only one who can get to it. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card. Get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. All right, let's uh, let's move our discussion on over to uh, the big trade that occurred uh, as the new league year opened up, and that, of course, uh, between the Texans and the Cardinals with the Texans. Out of, out of kind of nowhere, uh, shipping off DeAndre Hopkins, you know, arguably a top three, at the very least, uh, receiver in the league, um, and, and in the process getting an immensely light return. So they, they trade away Hopkins in a fourth, uh, and the Texans uh, received uh, David Johnson, and they took on all of his salary, I believe, a second-round pick and a 2021 fourth-round pick. So an immensely light return for the Texans for a legitimate franchise-wide receiver. And now uh, Hopkins moves from one of the you know very exciting young quarterbacks in the league to another one who, who you know we still haven't even seen close to what uh, his ceiling looks like, and that's Kyler Murray. So let's get into – let's just do an autopsy of this trade here. What do you think of it? Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I think the listeners need a Mario Bill O'Brien rant. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's it's not that complicated. You know, this is this is just one of those open and shut cases where this guy is incompetent and he's like malignantly incompetent. Like, because particularly if this report from Michael Irvin that came out today mm-hmm. is true, uh, basically Bill O'Brien said or at least Michael Irvin is claiming that DeAndre Hopkins told him that Bill O'Brien said some rancid stuff. And it was otherwise reported by other people uh, well before today that Hopkins and Bill O'Brien did not get along. And that's kind of the starting point that you need to vaguely rationalize this trade and and not even rationalize, explain it. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's still a stupid thing to do. It's petty. It's childish. It's irresponsible. It's reckless. But Bill O'Brien is all of those things. So he was, he's able to justify the trade in his mind on that basis, but it still is objectively stupid management from a resource perspective because he traded Deandre Hopkins, uh, who, you know, he's, he's worth like two first rounders or something like that. And he traded Deandre Hopkins for, what could generously be described as like a second round pick and David Johnson. But you have to understand David Johnson was a toxic asset in this trade. It was not a plus. It was a negative. Bill O'Brien was either too stupid to see it for that or he didn't care because he was just so petty on a personal level toward Hopkins that it was immaterial to him that he was taking a loss in his job as, as an asset manager. So he's he's either stupid or he's just – malignantly reckless and it's it's just um 
I don't even really know what there is to say beyond that because he apparently has Houston's ownership uh, at his back. They're just they're just willing to let him do whatever he wants. And I have to assume they're okay with this too because they seem to just like him more with every fire that he sets. But uh, it'll hurt the Houston offense. It'll hurt Deshaun Watson. I guess it's good for Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, and Randall Cobb, who they signed at $9 million a year over three years. I don't really think that it's going to be a consistent offense, though, because it wasn't one last year when it had DeAndre Hopkins. And Bill O'Brien has some of the most predictable route combinations, some of the, some of the worst just offensive play calling theory in the NFL. Uh, and it's it's going to be a lot of games like the Carolina game last year, I think, where in the in the Denver game where it's like Deshaun Watson drops back to pass. No one's open. They spend the first half just getting kicked around. And then in the second half. Deshaun Watson starts running because there's he has no choice and they kind of make some comebacks they they go like eight and eight because Deshaun Watson's an awesome quarterback um, but they're not going to be good and they're they're not going to meaningfully compete and they wouldn't have competed all these past years with O'Brien if it wasn't for that division just kind of being crap and Andrew Luck retiring and being hurt so um, maybe the division stays bad and O'Brien somehow keeps kind of treading water, but yeah, he's, he's a, doing he's everything the mainstay wrong. of the, of that first game on Saturday of wildcard weekend. So that, that's like his, yeah. his like Las Vegas residency show. Yes, it is. And, uh, it, maybe, maybe it's going to go another year, but we'll see that team is going, there's, there's no way that team respects him. There's no way. Uh, Deandre Hopkins was a highly regarded player. He, he wasn't some kind of like Odell Beckham. Like, I think it's OK to be a diva like Odell Beckham. But DeAndre Hopkins was not a diva by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I think that it's going to be the kind of thing where it's going to have a morale sort of repercussion. Like these guys are pros. They're going to go out there and play, but they're not going to play with inspiration. They're not going to reach that 110 percent sort of level that you can when when you have that sort of like just you know inspired adrenaline going through you like no one will fight for this guy and uh you know Deshaun Watson he he's you know he's he's basically you know a soldier on the field he's he's going to compete he can't he can't help it that's just who he is but uh I hope he doesn't resign there and in the meantime I'm expecting a regression this year still good but uh in in an article that I wrote on the site a couple days ago about projecting the remaining Houston offense I wrote how he's going about three he was going I should say three rounds behind Pat Mahomes and about uh one round ahead of Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson I would put him at this point behind certainly Kyler Murray in no small part because of Hopkins going there uh but also Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott so I I don't have any Watson shares at this point I'm not exactly motivated to go get them but we'll see how low the price gets He, he he obviously will run he will obviously raise the baseline of that offense just because he is an elite quarterback or close to it but uh, anytime you take the leading efficiency and volume guy from an offense like Houston did by trading DeAndre Hopkins you you destabilize the whole ecosystem yeah and and I think also you you run into the scenario and obviously this is a this year has a very uh, deep receiver class but uh, you can't just only rely on, on rookies to, you know, make up the number three and number four uh, volume of targets in, in your offense there. And, you know, once you look at that receiving core with like without Hopkins, I mean, I like Fuller, but I think we can both agree that, he you know, the 
the durability concern is real and stills is good when, when he's out on the field too, but you know, you'd prefer to have uh, way more depth than that. So, I mean, again, this trade just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think that at the very least you can characterize uh, this receiving core as, as being on thin ice. Like if something goes wrong and they have to give more meaningful snaps to some, you know, very, very questionable 53 man roster type of receivers, that's going to be an even bigger issue and even bigger obstacle uh, for Watson and this offense to overcome as a whole. Yeah, I think they're going to go into the year with, uh, what's his name, DeAndre Carter is the fourth receiver, Cobb as the slot, uh, Fuller instills the general presumed starters. Uh, they don't have a pick until the 40th overall in the second round, so they're not in at all range to get like a, a plot. Uh, they can't get a probable starting candidate at receiver, and I don't think they intend to take one. Like They're so short on resources, uh, they got to replace DJ Reader somehow. They had plenty of questions as it was at uh, kind of just like at at the defensive line generally. Like they don't have much going on there. The offensive line, of course, is not great. Um, So it's it's a it's a roster that's not good enough to be giving up assets like they have and to get rid of their best player and still have no pick until 40th overall just shows like this is an insolvent team. Like this is, this is botched. This is not how it was supposed to work. No matter what Bill O'Brien says, this is, this is basically a meltdown, uh, as an institution. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think stills and fuller are good players. It's just that Hopkins was a guy who, and it's rare to find players like this, but Hopkins is a guy who could lead your team in efficiency and take on a staggering volume. And normally when you take on the volume that Hopkins had in Houston, you kind of, you, you kind of sink to the baseline of the offense because you are the baseline. Like you, you make the, the floor of the offense yourself. And so it's unfair to expect you to outperform everybody else in terms of efficiency. It's easier to have a high efficiency grade over a smaller sample where you can, you know, spike it upward with, with, with a few good plays like Hopkins didn't have that benefit. And yet he still established the efficiency high mark too. So when you take that away, it's, you just, you find out how, good everybody else is and the answer is going to be even if fuller even if stills are quite good and i think they are i like both of those guys but you don't replace a player like hopkins you just don't do it you really you really don't so let's talk about uh, hopkins and his new landing spot with the cardinals i think everyone is going to be throwing themselves at, at the cardinals uh skill position guys now i think you know hopkins you know i don't think that this necessarily changes his like first round status in drafts but i, I think it no. it solidifies it, it, it you know yeah. i think that the offense itself is going to be better even if there's a slight downgrade at quarterback um but with everything around him like i think that kyler murray is very very legitimate uh qb3 uh this as in like you know behind uh jackson and mahomes i think that there's a legitimate argument to be made uh for kyler murray being the third quarterback off the board in drafts this year yeah i fully agree with that and i don't know i haven't thought enough about how much i think i'm willing to pay for him but it's one of those things where when i when i try to be objective about it and think about the best case scenario with murray i have trouble ruling many things out because he was he was quite good as a rookie even though everything was stacked against him the offensive line was bad uh, the receivers even even on the offense where the where they ran more routes than any other team where receivers logged more snaps than any other team by far they still had some of the worst receivers in the league uh, overall and, and, and especially in terms of uh, that like f- initial three four wide receiver loadout because Fitzgerald and Kirk they're good 
But Kirk was coming back from a broken foot. I don't think he was quite right all year. Uh, I still think he's going to be very good, and I think Fitz still offers something in the meantime. But going from a four-wide base of, what was it, Demir Berg, Keyshawn Johnson, Christian Kirk, and Larry Fitzgerald to more of a three-wide receiver offense or, or a four-wide of you know Kirk, Fitz, Hopkins, and Isabella or something like that, or even Demir Bird, if he's still the other guy out there, he's fast, whatever, that's fine. He can, he can make the safety run back a little bit. Um, but that's just that's, – that's upgrading so many snaps and targets just with Hopkins alone joining them. And if Isabella can make a little bit of growth going into his second year, if if anybody, if Farrell Cooper or somebody, they, they've got these guys now who who kind of who, who clearly offer something. And in the case of Kirk, you you can I think count on more upside as as he goes into his age twenty three season, and it, it, you know if the foot cooperates anyway. So if if uh, if Hopkins is there and and Kirk and Fitzgerald are on the field, it's it's just one of those things where. Kyler's going from maybe the worst overall average grade of, of wide receiver quality in an offense that demands more snaps of receivers than any other to an offense that demands more receiver snaps than any other and has among the best receiver snaps in the league. Mm-hmm. So he he had the season that he did last year. Uh, and also it's like there's a chance with that eighth overall pick, the, the Cardinals could add a really good rookie tackle in this class. So there's a lot to like about Kyler Murray and the other thing to keep in mind is the Arizona offense was basically bad last year. They, they like Kyler Murray put up some good numbers and he had some really good moments, but they had so many three and outs. They were so so inconsistent. And so even though they ran that max tempo offense, they didn't rank all that high in terms of plays logged, but with Kyler going into his second year, and especially if they add a good tackle upgrade in the draft, having Deandre Hopkins and hopefully a, a little bit more healthy, a little bit more skilled version of Christian Kirk, that's that's just that's setting up so many more uh, first downs than last year, and that leads them to to probably I think this year rank first in the league in plays logged uh, because of that tempo, because of that tempo being uh, you know supplemented with actual first downs. It means that they're going to keep getting more chances to throw the ball, whatever it is, run the ball, and I think they're going to rank first in the league in snaps logged this year, and probably by an unprecedented margin. Dang. All right. That's strong statement, but I mean, I, I can definitely see it. And I mean, it, it's hard to come up with, with ar- arguments really against, um, that, you know, the, this offense failing, uh, it basically lets, under cliff. Yeah. Basically the Hopkins trade and especially if Kirk can step forward and especially if Isabella and Cooper can offer a little bit too, it makes the air raid theoretically realized like they, they had or practically realized, I should say, like they had the theory of it last year, but they didn't have the practical means of making it happen. Now they do. And, you know, that that could be scary because I think it teams, even though, you know, the the Cardinals didn't end up having a great season by any means last year, by the time they, they started to get things in rhythm, and obviously, like you said, there are still shortcomings, they weren't a comfortable team to play against down the stretch no. there. So, so now, if they if they started to find their groove with get you know with a very ragtag bunch of receivers, you know what does happen when you have Christian Kirk right. entering what year three and and Hopkins still in his in his prime and Fitzgerald just a timeless and reliable guy um, in out of the slot. Uh, the sky just does kind of feel like the the limit there, and you know. 
that division is, is murder right now, but um, I, I think that you could almost see uh, the Cardinals jumping over the Rams in the pecking order starting this year. I think so. Yeah. Well, check this out, though. Uh, not only is DeForest Buckner no longer in the division, and watch that hurt the 49ers a lot more than people expect, but uh, the Rams' defense has been basically destroyed. So, uh, like, Nikel Roby Coleman's gone. They might lose Fowler in free agency. They haven't yet, but they might. Uh, Brockers is gone. Uh, Aaron Donald is really the only thing on that deep. Corey Littleton signed with uh, the Raiders. It's just Aaron Donald on that defense right now. And that, to be fair, Aaron Donald in himself is basically an average defense, uh, (laughs) even if you put like 10 clowns on the field otherwise. But they were specifically like a high pressure, high turnover defense before. And I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. Yeah. So so things could get a little dicey uh, for the Rams here in a hurry. Um, no Wade Phillips either. Yeah, yeah, that's that's by it. Um, let's move on over uh, to the other big receiver trade here um, that happened. It felt like the way that Stephon Diggs was posting uh, that this was a long time coming. <laughs> um, and a full it, year, <laughs> a full year of great posts. Someone should make a, a drill book, but just the Stephon Diggs tweets <laughs> of the past year. And Instagram's also quality too. So I mean, yeah, yeah. just a, a lot of uh, interesting stuff. And uh, <laughs> you had a great line in your mock draft. It was like, oh, maybe the Vikings would have considered. Um, Trevon digs in this spot, but uh, things happened. <laughs> so I thought that was yeah. Like, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be hilarious if they drafted him. Just doubling down on the Diggs family. Why not? Okay, so let's get into the the nuts and bolts here. So um, the Bills were obviously willing to pony up a lot of capital in order to go and get Stephon Diggs and, and really round out their receiving core to continue to build things around Josh Allen as he as he enters uh, year three here. Um, so they gave up. A first rounder for this year a fifth rounder and a sixth round pick in 2021 um so that's a fair amount especially the you know the 2020 first round pick and how it stands in stark contrast because i think we both like stefan diggs but he's not as good as deandre hopkins and for him to command more in a trade uh i don't think that the the two-year age gap or whatever it is is worth of worth it where uh, Diggs is that first round uh, type of acquisition and Hopkins uh, only nets you a second. Yeah. And it's not to, uh, you know, not, not to hold like a, a morbid detail over Diggs's head, but he does have a very long concerning injury history. Right. So he doesn't offer the, the workhorse specific upside that Hopkins has. Like Hopkins is truly rare for the workhorse abilities that he has as a receiver, whereas Diggs, he's, Maybe a more dangerous player on a given play than DeAndre Hopkins, but he doesn't he he can't shoulder a load like the way Hopkins can. And uh, for the Bills, that's fine because they're not a high volume passing game anyway. And uh, Diggs, if he's okay with, you know, Josh Allen's scattershot accuracy, then they, they have the pieces of an overall dangerous offense and Brian Dable I think has done a great job at the entire time that he's been in Buffalo so I expect him to do a great job this year too but I can't what I can't tell is whether I think Diggs's fantasy uh, situation is as good as it was in Minnesota I don't think it is because even though he only had 94 targets in 15 games last year and and that being the case with with Thielen missing time I just think that in Buffalo it's it's one of those things like John Brown's already there. He's not he's not going to just disappear now that Diggs is there. Uh, Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox are decent enough. They're they're going to draw some targets. 
but it's just it's just not an offense that aspires to throw the ball a whole lot. And Minnesota's not wasn't exactly you know an air raid themselves, but it's it's a little bit more run heavy. Yet in Buffalo, uh, cold weather does not correlate well to passing games generally. So you can you just kind of imagine these these things helping bring Diggs back to his baseline after averaging 12 yards a target last year. That is not sustainable. He was more of like an eight and a half yards per target kind of guy. His career before he last really year below like the last two years have been very strange because he was 6.9 yards per target in 2018. Yeah. I also don't really have a good reason why his target count fell so much when uh Thielen was healthy all of 2018, where he had uh digs at 149 targets in 2018 and versus 94 last year. So, uh, in the same when, when amount of games. Yeah, and when considering the change from Minnesota to Buffalo, it's like you got to keep in mind that even though it was 94 targets last year, that 149 still did happen in 2018. So I, I kind of like split the difference between the two. And then when I look at a projection of whatever, like 120 targets in the in the Mike in the Minnesota offense versus, I'm guessing I'm guessing he's going to get about 100 targets in Buffalo. It's like I would rather have the 110 targets in Minnesota. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, between between what I think will be a decrease in long-term target volume, colder weather, worse accuracy from the quarterback, and Diggs' injury history. I feel like he has a pretty low floor, and that's both on the season and certainly on a weekly – or sorry, a week-to-week basis. So he's he's kind of very close actually for me to uh, Will Fuller in the ADP now – or in my rankings now. I don't know where the ADP is going to go. I would imagine Diggs slides a little bit but not much, and Fuller, of course, will go up. I don't know how much people kind of hate him. He's kind of their uh, new Sammy Watkins or something. So uh, they might not buy in as much as the projections tell them to. Um, but Diggs is basically Will Fuller to me as a fantasy asset right now. So just to like play devil's advocate a little bit here, and, and you, you know, are way more attuned uh, to like the ADP market, especially at this stage of the game here. But I, I just feel like maybe, maybe I'm just speaking as the donkey here. But um, when when Diggs goes somewhere and, and he, uh, you know. The team spends a first rounder to get him. Maybe there's some optimism that that uh, Josh Allen continues to improve in, in year three, so on, so forth. That maybe the the ADP and and getting away from you know the perception uh, that comes along with, with Kirk Cousins being you know that is boring uh, check down type of quarterback. Even even while you ignore uh, the yards per target that Diggs had a year ago, maybe that ADP stays uh, stays the same, or maybe even goes up a little bit. Yeah, it could happen. I I haven't like looked at Twitter to see what people are chattering about it. I I saw I saw some people more positive than others, but I didn't really see a decisive trend to emerge. So Diggs might just be one of those players who you have to be very high on him to draft him as a general rule, just because maybe there's some or maybe there's two or three people in every draft who are way higher on him than everybody else. And maybe they're going to outbid you every time if you don't do uh, if you don't specifically make a reach by your standards. And that's totally possible because uh, out in, in redraft, for instance, I have no I have no real interest in digs at his, at his uh, sort of fifth round price tag from before. If he fell to the sixth and especially the seventh, then I would be in, uh, interested, I guess. But again, it's like the Will Fuller alternative is is something that's compelling to me i think there's reason to give fuller a better projection generally and the reason fuller is always cheap is because of these inconsistency reasons that i think could just as easily apply to digs so um 
you could imagine, I guess, people people thinking like, oh, well, Diggs was so great downfield last year. Josh Allen, yeah, he's going to get better, and he's already good at throwing the ball downfield. He worked so well with John Brown, and Diggs is even better. A, Diggs is not a similar player to John Brown, especially. Like, John Brown is a burner. Diggs is just like a 4-5 guy who's really good at running routes. So I don't even know if we can take for granted that he's going to get open downfield that much. I think it might be more like Cole Beasley who suffers for Diggs' arrival. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's correct to project growth for Josh Allen. Like, he could make better decisions with experience, but his accuracy will not improve. It's not up to him. He can't do it. That's You don't have – you don't have – like the ability to to improve accuracy as a general rule, or at least when you're as far along in your career as Allen is, the footwork or mechanical issues that might explain inaccuracy have been addressed as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, he won't get better. Like he he might make better decisions. He might make he might take better risks that are more worth taking, and that could show up in the box scores of of Diggs or Brown. But it's it's not likely enough, in my opinion, to make it worth paying the price that it takes to find out. Uh, especially if I can get Fuller in the eighth or something. Yeah, exactly. You, you, uh, you're always able to buy like the Fuller on, on the lower end of his price. Uh, so that that's part of the brand. Um, so, you know, we talked about, uh, how the Houston receiving core might be a little bit on thin ice. And I did forget Randall Cobb, but you, you mentioned him earlier. Um, when you look at this Vikings pass catching group now, not good. Woof. Yeah. So what happens now? I don't know, but that they have Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith there might hint that they're going more two tight end base offense. I, I haven't seen any comment. I haven't seen like Mike Zimmer comment on that. It's just I don't know what else they're supposed to do now kind of thing. And I also don't know what they're going to do in the draft. They have two first round picks, but it's just like I, I they have enough needs at or, or at least looming needs at defensive end and defensive tackle that you could imagine them having a higher priority at that position. They definitely have a more urgent need at corner. It remains to be seen whether they re-sign Mackenzie Alexander, but all of Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, uh, or sorry, Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander were free agents and they cut Rhodes for obvious reasons. Uh, Trey Waynes signed with Cincinnati. If they re-sign Mackenzie Alexander, then maybe they don't have as much of an urgent need for a corner. But they basically don't know who's going to play corner next year. Like they have Mike Hughes, who's kind of sucked so far, and then they have nobody if they don't re-sign Mackenzie Alexander. And even Mackenzie Alexander was just their slot guy for the most part. So they they have no clue what they're going to do at outside corner. So I can imagine them going into the second round. Instead of getting a receiver to obviously replace Diggs, I I think they're going to go into the second round with a defensive lineman in a corner, and they could still get a totally good receiver in the second round. I sure. mean, they could get a really good receiver in the second round, but you're just you're kind of you're kind of boxing yourself in. You're not giving many options to yourself, and if some teams trade ahead of you and take your guys, then that's how you end up doing. <laughs> Man, isn't it funny that we don't remember this trick of the of the Texans? I, I think this was still Bill O'Brien's fault too. Um, the or wait, maybe this is why they fired the guy before him. But the Titus Howard pick, like that's how you that's how you end up. <laughs> yeah, right after make, the draft, they fired their GM. Yeah, that's how you end up making a Titus Howard kind of pick. Is like you just say, oh, we'll we'll just get the highest ranked uh, offensive tackle, and then Philadelphia trades ahead of you and takes Dillard, and then you're like. Oh, who who's who are the other tackles again? And you, you don't you don't have a plan in place. You just take uh, whoever is ranked highest in like CBS's prospect rankings at the position or something. Uh, so yeah, that, if if they go into the second round thinking 
I don't know, like if I, there's so many good rookie receivers in this class that I don't even know who, who to cite as an example, but like they, they might go in thinking they're going to get somebody who, who's uh, like, I don't know, Denzel Mims or Justin Jefferson or something. And it turns out it's like, actually you're taking uh, Van Jefferson. <laughs> not, not, I don't think it'll go that badly, but that's, that's the kind of thing that they're setting themselves up for because BC Johnson is not good enough. In my opinion, I don't think he's going to be in the league in a couple of years as more than like a, wide receiver five kind of player and uh, everybody else they have sucks like they had crap receivers going into last year uh chad bb is your starting slot receiver you you did a bad job mm-hmm. if you if, if chad bb is your starting slot receiver you've made grave errors managing your draft picks in your cap space yeah bottom line there so uh yeah that that's a good way of, of summing up the it looks like uh you know maybe some dark times ahead uh for minnesota there um, let's shift our gears over to uh, another quarterback move here with, with Indianapolis going ahead and getting uh, Philip Rivers. So the the end of the era for Phil Rivers in uh, in L.A. slash San Diego over after many, many years. Uh, what do you expect here? Because this one kind of makes me snore. I hear you. I think it's still – I think it's A, the best that the Colts could have done in the circumstances, and B, I'm actually kind of – a little bit optimistic or at least like since expectations are so low for rivers at this point, I am kind of interested in buying because he just doesn't need to do that well to exceed people's expectations and the market's expectations at this point. But I think it's, it's kind of a similar situation with Tom Brady in that, uh, you know, these guys rivers is not the player that he used to be. He specifically struggles to throw the ball downfield. He, he has kind of a wind up heave just to get the ball downfield nowadays. And it, it comes at the expense of his accuracy and his velocity uh, that he has that he has to get this kind of like shot put kind of trajectory to, to, to get the ball as far as he needs it to go. But the thing is, whereas Tom Brady's going to an offense that seems like it's going to demand him. Uh, demand of him something that he simply can't do i think the colts are in better position to accommodate rivers's limitations and i think frank reich is just way ahead of bruce arians at least nowadays he is so i think that rivers is definitely better than jacoby Brissett. and jacoby Brissett, i mean he, he had a really bad season he had a couple good games i feel like rivers will be clearly better than that and maybe Maybe you can't really realistically hope for this, but a, a fully healthy season from T.Y. Hilton would really help as far as that goes. He still was really good last year before he got hurt, and uh, he's just he's just a great player, I think. But if they can get Paris Campbell to take a step forward, give Rivers a, a yards-after-the-catch threat that he did not have with the Chargers, then I think you might all of a sudden see him kind of find a rhythm that he hasn't had in years because uh, – and playing indoors can only help as far as that goes. Uh, but it remains to be seen – you know, like Rivers had good enough numbers last year uh, in terms of like uh, interceptions aside, but he was also really dependent on Austin Eckler who had the best pass-catching season of any running back since Marshall Falk in 1999 – I don't remember the specific details that I that I ran the query for. I think for, it was like eighty percent catch rate and like eight yards a target or something in that range. Something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think I think it was actually like eighty five percent. Oh my god! Or sorry, like eighty percent and nine yards a target, something like that. But cool. yeah, Eckler had uh, what might have been like the most efficient pass catching season for a running back ever, and Brady 
looked to him or sorry, uh, Rivers looked to him almost obsessively. Like he, he was dependent on Eckler. But it, interestingly enough, Rivers still threw the ball pretty far downfield. Like his average depth of target was pretty far. So they look like weather balloons when he throws it down there. Oh, though. yeah. It's like crazy. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. I just I just mean to say like that didn't really suit his abilities. And yet he did it. And uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams had good enough per target numbers. I just think that Rivers might uh, he'll lose something, I think, in the per t- per attempt. Uh, so let's see what he had. Um, he, he was 8.5, 7.8 yards per attempt, respectively, over the last two years. I think you'll see him dr- drop to like seven and a half, seven point six with the Colts, but I think you'll also see him uh, push for like 68% completion percentage and the interceptions will come down. So I I just don't think he'll need to take some of the, some of the risky throws that he did as dictated by the chargers offensive design. I think in, in Indianapolis's cases, it's more likely to be something that kind of is like, yeah, you're bad at chucking the ball that far, so why don't we just have you do something else? Uh, but yeah, I am a little concerned about no Eckler uh, because Naheem Hines is the closest thing they have, and I do like Naheem Hines as a as a PPR pickup because he was basically going for free in drafts, and I can I can imagine him catching like 60, 70 passes this year, even if he's not particularly good at it. But he's not particularly good, or at least I don't I don't think there's any evidence that there is. So uh, how if if Hines catches a lot of passes it's basically because rivers is checking down and not because it's uh you know it's not it's not because he's doing austin eckler things and if he's not doing austin eckler things then rivers numbers are going to come down a bit okay so maybe my analysis a little bit too simplistic here but i think we're in a situation here where where yes like he's going into a situation uh where that uh, there's like a brain trust around him that was similar to like 2013 or something, and Frank Reich obviously great and everything. But we also have a situation where Rivers, a year older, against Father Time, with in my opinion a worse receiving core, um, a, a obvious downgrade at at, uh, at his like check down uh, at running back, with going from Eckler to Hines, like you mentioned. And again, like I just think that we saw so much diminished skills from from Rivers down the stretch. Maybe they didn't always bear out in the numbers, but what if they start to in, in a very significant way here? Uh, and it's not. And again, I know that moving to the dome should help, but it's not like he was playing in adverse con- conditions in L.A. either. So I, I really have a very low opinion of the of this signing. I, I just think that Rivers is toast basically, and I think that this is going to end up looking like a very bad signing. I. I get that uh, you know he could he could have basically a bad season. I just I think he's definitely better than Jacoby Brissett. I think sure. Brissett was really bad last year, and I think this will go down as like a bad move by the Colts if they allow it to uh, you know cloud their long term thinking. But I I basic I have the faith in the meantime. I guess that they made this choice out of having no better ones and. If if that's the case, then I guess I I can't really blame them for taking the best thing that they could see, because uh, it, it's not quite as bad as going into the year with with Brissett, in my opinion. And since it's a one year twenty five million dollar deal, it's like if he sucks, who cares? They were gonna have a crap quarterback anyway. I see this going a similar way to like, well, they're giving him the the full job and everything, but the opposite of like. Johnny Unitas moving on from Baltimore and, and playing one last terrible year in, for the Chargers. Uh, 
yeah, I, I'm not quite uh, brushed up on my Johnny Unitas history, so well, that, I mean I'll that's your to, own fault. I'll have I'll have to <laughs> defer to to our to our uh, Baltimore era Colts expert. That's right. Uh, John 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 McKechnie, but yeah, I I, I totally hear what you're saying. I, I think it, it maybe for all we know though, like the Colts are there, like fuck, or you know, like this sucks. We we can't uh, we can't do better than uh, than uh, Rivers, but it's it's the best we can do. All right, well, let's talk about some guys that maybe they could have done better with by getting. Uh, let's get into Teddy Bridgewater and then uh, what happens uh, with Cam Newton next. So Bridgewater goes and gets uh, signed by Carolina. Kind of an interesting move there, moves within the division. Uh, you know, obviously kept things afloat uh, for the Saints last year, but in a lot of ways the under-the-hood numbers look a lot similar to, like, a Derek Carr. So I don't know how yeah. optimistic I am about this uh, for, for, like, you know, when, when they when Matt Rule – brought uh joe brady from lsu i think we were both in agreement and we weren't the only ones that were excited about what this passing offense could look like especially for curtis samuel but when you have a guy who's so averse to get pushing the ball down the field um as bridgewater i just worry that samuel uh it just isn't going to happen for him under this particular regime uh, whereas i think dj moore probably just catches like a mil like has like the uh yeah the the, the uh term that you coined like the empty calories production aplenty yeah i was pretty skeptical of dj Moore at his previous or at his adp up to this point in the year but the bridgewater signing almost makes me like a believer now but yeah. now maybe Moore's price will just go up for it and i'll still not be be able to get any shares who knows but yeah i <sighs> As much as Kyle Allen left a lot of yardage on the field when throwing to Curtis Samuel, the worry with Teddy Bridgewater is that the yardage won't even be left on the field. Like, he just won't even throw to him hardly. Uh, like, he'll throw to Samuel sometimes. And even Samuel, even, even though Samuel was more of a downfield target than more in this offense, like, Samuel will, of course, do some slot work, some underneath type plays. But the, the way he had upside was with respect to his downfield separation ability. And it doesn't. Whereas it didn't matter how much he got open with Allen because Allen would just, you know, put it on the sideline every time uh, into the into the sideline, I should say. Uh, it's like Bridgewater is just going to be throwing it to either McCaffrey or Ian Thomas on that play. Mm -hmm. So I I'm definitely concerned for Curtis Samuel. It's to the point where I don't even know if I would draft the guy. I have no shares at this point because I was kind of un just out of uncertainty fear and now i'm now i've gone from uncertainty to certainty in my mind and maybe that's wrong maybe i'm being too pessimistic but even as a curtis samuel fan i just don't see the theory for how he's supposed to function in an offense like this or at least teddy bridgewater would have to fundamentally change how he played relative to last year and i don't know maybe he will maybe maybe he had some you know, justifiable reasons for being rusty last year and justifiable reasons for being anxious and, and kind of just uh, a bit rattled by, by you know, he, he was returning to a situation that he had been in his whole life, but had not been in for what, like four years because of a, an injury that's like unprecedented, right? Unprecedentedly catastrophic knee injury. And you know, that's got to be a bit disorienting going from uh, the man your whole life to considered like a, you know, borderline like cripple or something. And then all of a sudden you're expected to be Drew Brees's competent replacement. Like it's it's got to be a bit of a whirlwind. And maybe maybe he was still kind of breaking out of his shell last year. But six yards is the average depth of target, which I don't remember ever seeing a depth of target that low over uh, any 
noteworthy sample. And even though it was only four games or whatever, that's uh, that's a big enough sample. And, and because the variable was so particularly low, I think it's safe to say there's real meaning behind it. So for, for Samuel to be good, he basically – Bridgewater specifically needs to kind of – be someone he hasn't been in about five years and that just seems like it's asking a lot it is asking a lot and i wouldn't even say that bridgewater was a huge downfield guy even pre-injury and then again uh to to back up the numbers um curtis samuel uh 14.3 average depth of target last year that ranked inside the top 15 right on par uh with with the wolf will fuller um and john brown um do you have anything else to add onto that because i have some breaking news for you if you if that interests you uh, no, like a hundred, 150 catches for like 700 yards for McCaffrey. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay. Some breaking news here from Adam Schefter quarterback trade. Jacksonville is trading quarterback Nick Foles to Chicago for the bears compensatory fourth round pick. <laughs> they, they got, uh, the bears to, to trade something for Foles. That's interesting. Um, so that rules out Cam Newton to Chicago then, and I don't know what I make of Trubisky versus Foles. That's it's a lot of average. Two, di- two different kinds of of sad, but <laughs> one one kind of sad might be less debilitating than the other because with Trubisky and his low points last year, it was like some of the very worst. Uh, not even just football footage; it was like some of the most unnerving film i've ever seen on any (laughs) subject granted i'm not big on horror movies or anything so it's it's not like i'm digging deep into the the terror bin but it was bad i it was like borderline sickening how bad trubisky was at his lowest points last year and and it felt you know just embarrassing to watch uh so fools however bad he is i don't i don't know if i can convince myself that he's capable of being that quite bad and is also no, he's got like a fail safe switch on yeah it's like he's he's he'll suck he'll be terrible for you but he won't he won't like devolve into a baby on the football field <laughs> like it'll just be like ah this guy's a lump this sucks but with Trubisky it was like how can they let the game keep going like this is so it's 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 just it's just like ter- horrifying to watch uh, some of the some of that uh, especially the first set half of the season for for Chicago like Trubisky was just like call off the fight um, but with Foles he he does that annoying thing where every time we count him out he does really good for inexplicable like like a short rate he only does it for a short burst mm-hmm. but he becomes like inexplicably good for the Super Bowl or the playoff run or whatever it was or the year that he started out that he started for the Eagles and had 27 touchdowns and two interceptions replacing Michael Vick is like he, he, he fails in ways that like amaze you when you, when you get any sort of hope for him. And then he, he makes you like question everything that you believe by coming back and doing well. And so like, you know, just, just, just hearing like how I laid that out, that all sounds so improbable. And therefore, like, I, I think it's improbable to expect him to do it a third time, you know, coming to Chicago and all of a sudden being good. But he could be still, even if he's bad, he could still be safely better than Trubisky. So uh, I had no Trubisky shares in any best ball drafts. I'm certainly not going to get any now. I might, if I really screw up, consider fulls in like the 20th or 19th or something like that but uh it will have been because i made some sort of error if i do end up in that position does this does this uh boost um any of the skill position guys in your mind like alan robinson uh you know i think so was great last year despite 
um, Trubisky. And I, I thought that down the stretch, Anthony Miller started to look like the receiver that we thought he was yeah. at Memphis. Yeah, Robinson and Miller are both good, I think. Well, Robinson's awesome, and Miller, it's not for sure yet, but I think we have reason to believe he's good now. And I think that Trubisky was <laughs> as bad as Foles was last year. I still think Trubisky's a worse passer. So I think Foles has to be considered at least like a stabilizing effect for Miller and Robinson. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against someone – saying that it's an upgrade especially because there's actually a history of Foles playing in an offense kind of like this it's not that different from the chip kelly offense the the Nagy offense they know and each other in was, kansas city maybe a little bit too i think oh yeah the the, the reed connection generally yeah. um so yeah i think there's reason to believe Foles is actually pretty well suited to this kind of offense so even in then it's like if if he, if he fits the scheme then it's otherwise just Chubisky that he's got to worry about. And if even if Foles is bad, I, I just think he's better than Chubisky. And I, you know, I, I actually would consider Foles, if he's the starter, if he's declared the starter, the biggest upgrade might be for actually David Montgomery. Uh, did it hurt just because, you to say that as much as it sounded like it did? Oh, no, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's just like... Robinson already is like a fourth, fifth round range kind of pick. And I don't I don't think you can really argue for him being higher than that. I think you can argue that his floor is higher in the event of a Foles uh, offense. But uh, with with Montgomery, I was just kind of thinking like part of the way you have to justify Trubisky on the field is by having him run the ball. And if he's running the ball, it's carries that aren't going to Montgomery. Um, Not not generally like they got they got, uh, you know. They had Montgomery with a couple big high carry counts last year, but it, it felt like to me that was like when they were going into the shell as an offense. I don't think it's Nagy's first inclination to just give a running back 25 carries. I think he'd rather give a running back 15 carries and mostly in the second half, kind of like Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. But uh, with Trubisky there, it's like you you have to like subsidize him with these carries that uh, you know help him get into a rhythm and, and get the defense to give him different looks that is – his below average passing has a prayer against, but he doesn't have a prayer most of the time. And the carries that he takes, you know, maybe you'd be better off giving those to Montgomery and then taking the remaining plays and turning them into play action passes as opposed to, uh, you know, creating zone reads for, for Trubisky so he can convince himself that he doesn't suck and then, uh, you know, th- drop back a couple times without completely melting down in fear. But uh, yeah, he had the yips last year and he's not a good enough quarterback to get the yips. So, uh, I think I think going with Foles will give the offense as a whole a lot more composure, uh, probably a better third like third down conversion rate. Things that just kind of lend more opportunity to everybody, even if he's still well below the line of good. And then uh, on the other side of this, and knowing what I know about um, what you've done in drafts to this point in best ball, you got to feel pretty good about your Gardner Minshew bet now. <sighs> Yeah, I honestly wasn't even worried. I, maybe this is stupid of me. It wasn't even Foles that I was concerned about. I was like, what if they draft a quarterback? Or like, what if they what if they sign Jameis Winston? Like, that could still happen, I guess. I'd be surprised if it did, though. And I think Shad Khan, uh, the owner of the J- Jags, is is more like a Jerry Jones than people took him for. He, he's not as like competitive as Jerry Jones. He's he's like got that cyn- cynicism though, and uh, he he he. I think when he saw the brand of Gardner Minshew take off, I think he was prepared to tell, to, to put some pressure on the coaches and say like, look, we're going with Minshew. The, the mustache and the headband are doing great for it, our, it is for Duval our brand. personified. 
Yeah, so I think I think it was pretty much like maybe he won't be good. Maybe he still gets benched because he, you know, completely falls over in his second year. But A, I'd be surprised. And B, for a rookie to play the way he did, even if you want to stick to your guns as as uh, you know, the prospect evaluation of Minshew and say, like, oh, but he's a day three guy. He wasn't supposed to be good. This is just a fluke. It's like still, he was uncommonly good for for a rookie quarterback. And generally when a rookie quarterback is as good as him, you gotta stick with them. And it could go the way of Mariota or whoever else who had a good start to their career and fell apart. But you basically have to find out if that's really what you have to find out. Like you can't you can't pass up that seventh round contract. The, the possibility of having a viable starting quarterback on a seventh round yeah. contract is such a unique asset if you can secure that. And now they have to see if they can. Absolutely. Um, so excited for, to see uh, his development uh, here in year two. He's easy guy to root for. Um, so let's move on to some of those notable free agent guys. I mean, we, I feel like we're running out of spots at the table here as far as starting quarterbacks go. And then we're going to have the infusion of, you know, depending on, on whether two is ready to go this year, but you know, we're going to have three potential rookie starting quarterbacks, maybe four. Um, so what happens uh, with, with Cam Newton and Jameis Winston in your mind as, as potential landing spots? And how does this maybe impact uh, how you view uh, the top of the draft playing out? Yeah, I have no idea what to make of the Cam Newton and Jameis Winston situations because I have a much higher opinion of Cam Newton than most people do. And to me, the choice between him and Winston is is not a serious question whatsoever normally. But still don't know what to make of Cam Newton's foot. Uh, we don't know what Washington's role might be. Like that's the other that's the other angle here is like maybe it's not even just Cam versus Jameis. It might be Cam versus Dwayne Haskins versus Jameis insofar as Washington's specific involvement relative to Cam. Uh, so if Cam gets traded for by Washington, then Haskins goes to the bench and Jameis probably signs with the Chargers. Or maybe not. Maybe they don't sign anybody and they just take uh, the leftover of Tua or Herbert at the sixth overall pick. Um, I projected the Chargers to take Tua because I projected Herbert to go to the Dolphins at five. But uh, – you know, they have Tyrod Taylor as an option in the meantime. They might if, if Jameis Winston is just a, a bridge to the next quarterback that they draft, they already have the bridge. Mm-hmm. It's Tyrod Taylor. So I don't know if if like Jameis might just kind of not be a starter this year. Man, that's crazy. Uh, like that's like he's got he got the LASIK, man. Like he's gonna be good now. Come on, it's <laughs> totally safe this time. <laughs> yes. Uh He's totally different. Um, yeah, I, I don't even have a strong opinion on it. I, I don't blame anyone for swearing off Jameis. I don't no. blame anyone for having some lingering stubborn hope. I don't really want to get involved either way. I, I'm just kind of like I'm focusing on other quarterbacks. But uh, you know, if, if Washington wants Cam, and they do. And if the Chargers consider Tyrod their stopgap, and if they consider the rookie that a rookie, I should say, it's not foregone that they take one. But if they choose, if they know right now that they want one, there's just not much point in taking Winston unless you're going to do something where you try to sign him to a one year deal and turn him into a comp pick, uh, which would make sense, I guess. But um, I don't, I don't know if it's like, I just don't know what they're, what they're what their intentions are. And Anthony Lynn is a culture guy. So I can imagine him not liking the idea of Jameis Winston, Supreme clown man (laughs) joining the team. 
So it's it's uh, it's one of those things where I wouldn't be that shocked if Winston actually doesn't sign a contract with a team because he's not the kind of guy you like. What's the point of having him as a backup if if he's gonna if if he's the antithesis of stability and if he's if he's going to bring kind of a hoopla with him that isn't really worth the time? I don't really know. I think just he might let just him, kind let of let a mentor Jared Stidham in New England. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. I can't see New England considering Jameis. I don't. I think. I think Bill would go with Mohamed Sanu at quarterback before he would Jameis Winston. And then so. he would sign Cam and reconvert him to a tight end like he was at Florida. I actually, I have some lingering. I, I actually have a. I don't know. I, I don't want to make this sound like it's reporting because it definitely isn't. It's just me and stupid. We can be wearing uh, our tinfoil hats for this. It's fine. Oh, I already am. I was I not supposed. I, okay, I, so yeah, I, I wore mine. Okay, good, good. You, sh- you should. You should never take it off. But I think that New England and Washington might both be on cam, or at least like New England's watching to see and and uh, could give an offer because I I think Belichick could use Cam. I don't think he can use Jameis Winston. And uh, what are they going to do anyway? Like, I, I, I just don't think Jameis is an option and they don't have I, I don't think Stidham's an option either. I just don't think he's any good. So that was uh, that was wrong. weird to watch on Twitter yesterday morning, like the, that a Stidham hive still exists. Yeah, I didn't know there and was it didn't one. seem I ironic that's... enough. So I think it was serious. Yeah, I thought the Stidham hive went out of business when he transferred from Baylor, but I guess not. Um, yeah, I'm not interested in that. And I, I have to believe Belichick isn't either. So if they don't get cam, I don't really know what they're going to do. I, I don't think, I think he would much sooner tank than deal with Winston for a year. And I, I think it would be a very Belichickian outcome generally. If he somehow came out in 2021 with Trevor Lawrence and, you know, just restarted the whole misery machine on the rest of us. Let's, let's not talk that into existence. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's going to, that's going to round out the quarterbacks. Then Let, let's, before I get Pause too, vibes only yeah. before I get too frazzled on the air, why don't we just, um, why don't we move on to some of the skill position uh, movement or lack thereof here over the last few days? So Amari Cooper signs that big deal uh, to stay in Dallas. Um, so any any thoughts there? I mean, it just feels like uh, the, that deal was a long time coming. Yeah, Dallas almost screwed it up. They had to use the franchise tag on Dak because they have already screwed that up. Uh, I don't know how they're going to keep him long term. And if he holds out, they're just they're screwed. They can't do anything. Um, but Cooper, I think is worth that contract. I think he's a really, really good receiver. And I know he doesn't have the, he, he doesn't have that workhorse ability of like a Deandre Hopkins, but he's one of those guys who, if you just need one play to get made, he's about as dangerous as anybody. And I know that people fixate on the drop passes and the injuries last year were concerning, but he showed too, when he was healthy, that it's like, this is upside worth chasing. And more importantly for Dallas's long-term, you know, resource management, it's like you can't let that guy walk <clears throat> after spending a first-round pick trading for him. So I, I think it was it was it was at once probably like a painful amount of money to cough up for Dallas, but I I thought they were basically compelled to do it with the kind of corner they forced themselves into. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point re- regarding like what they gave up to get him. That they, they had to keep him. Uh, long term uh, so we'll, we'll see what what the long-term future as a result with, with Dak and everything is because like you said they seem to be mismanaging that one pretty badly speaking of this mismanagement uh, let's get on to the Texans side of things um, <laughs> David Johnson what do we think it's tough because you would think that Bill O'Brien if he wanted David Johnson so bad you would think that he 
on some level knows who David Johnson is and, and has like a appropriate idea of how to use him. But but Bill O'Brien has never used a running back that way. He could have used a running back like Duke Johnson similarly to how he should use David Johnson. And he, he basically declined to last year. <clears throat> so I'm worried that O'Brien might just kind of try to use David Johnson the same way he did Carlos Hyde last year, which he would fail miserably at. Like David Johnson is not even an average pure runner or at least he's not average he's not even an average runner out of the backfield like he's dangerous in the open field because he's fast and athletic and he's he's powerful but be it the vision or the the change of direction the start stop i don't know what he's never been able to generate much explosiveness on the ground it's always been as a pass catcher where he really stood out and i still think you can make him a really useful running back but you have to be willing to use him as a route runner specifically like you have to understand he will be average at best as a pure runner so if you're imagining better than average returns you have to use him as a pass catcher and i don't know if o'brien's smart i don't know if brian's curious enough let alone smart enough to have any of these things occur to him so if he tries to just plug in david johnson to the carlos hyde role you're going to get something kind of similar to Arizona's season last year, I think, where it's just like, wow, these other guys are better at this than David Johnson. And even Cliff Kingsbury, I was disappointed with how he used David Johnson. He tried to just kind of use him out of the backfield where he still drew a lot of targets, to be fair. He was still a good pass catcher last year. But you use David Johnson at his best by giving him 14 to 15 carries per game, ideally getting him outside on a bunch of those carries. And you give him actual wide receiver snaps on the other ones. Like you put it, you don't, you know, go ahead, run screens, throw it to him out of the backfield like you would normally. But specifically, you need to get him wide receiver snaps and motion him out of the backfield, have him run routes against linebackers. Like he kills defenses when you do that. And Cliff Kingsbury largely did not do that. Maybe Bill O'Brien will. I don't know. It's just one of those things like, why would we give Bill O'Brien the benefit of the doubt? And even if you do. Even if you do give him the benefit of the doubt, do you want to pay a fourth or a fifth round pick to test David Johnson's durability? And and do you want to do you want to find out at that price whether the guy who got outplayed by Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds last year can can be the player that he was four years ago? Uh, it's it's a lot of risk in my opinion. And I still like David Johnson. It's like if he if his health were assured and if I had if I could have a sit down with Bill O'Brien and figure out just how stupid he is really and if it's if it's not as bad as I feared, then I would be like, okay, yeah, David Johnson, I like how this could set up, uh, especially with that target void with Hopkins gone. It's like they could really he, he could really be part of the solution. I just don't know if Bill O'Brien's capable of conceiving one. So then on on the other side um in Arizona is Kenyon Drake someone that you would cons- like I'll give you a quick toss up here between Drake versus let's say Leonard Fournette and Josh Jacobs those the latter two definitely are way ahead of Drake for me Drake's yeah. been going I want to say at like the second third round turn in best ball drafts on best ball tens I don't know if the Johnson trade will make him go higher as a result if I'm so I think that 19 would be, round pick 19 dating back to Monday ugh, that's not good yeah I feel like people are missed mis, uh, they're not thinking that through correctly because his price all along should have been based on the assumption that David Johnson would not be there. If they were pricing him at the second and third round turn while still believing David Johnson was in the picture, then they weren't properly considering his risk at that point. And to raise him to 19 in response to David Johnson getting traded, I think is 
it's kind of like the combine thing, you know, where it's like, don't count something a second time. Yeah. If a, if a guy who's supposed to be really fast turns out to be really fast, it's like you, you count it as a negative. If the, guy, if the guy is supposed to be very fast and it turns out he isn't, or you count it as a positive. If a guy wasn't supposed to be very fast, but he is. But with, with Kenyon Drake, you should have only been able to, to justify at second, third round turn under the condition that Johnson isn't there. So if Johnson is confirmed not there, it's not a reason to raise him further. So at 19, I am not considering that one bit. I like I'm relatively or I'm not I'm not low on Fournette in Jacobs, but I don't have any shares of either. And I would take them. I don't know. I, I would need like 85 shares of those two before I would consider putting Drake for the fa- final 15 at a top 20 price tag. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that we, we got that out of the way there because I was wondering uh, what your thoughts on, on Drake were, um, you know, relative to, to the market, especially after all of that. So not counting it twice, I think it is a really great way of framing that. Uh, let's move on to a, a slight, slightly more underrated uh, or under the radar uh, signing here, but uh, Kenyon Drake's former team, uh, the Dolphins, went ahead and picked up Jordan Howard. Yeah, this is one of those that are kind of one of those signings that are kind of like non-indicative. Like they don't necessarily mean anything, but they could mean something because Miami's probably on a more than one year tank plan. Like they're they're gonna you know they're competing. They've com- been competing all along. They if they were truly trying to tank they wouldn't have beat the patriots in week 17 last year but they know what they're doing they know they they need to kind of accumulate uh spending assets and jordan howard is the kind of guy who he can he can do just enough to give them that veneer of competitiveness without making it seem like they're quitting and to be fair they're not they could have signed someone worse than jordan howard they're 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 getting a pretty good pure runner uh it's just that he doesn't have the durability and he doesn't have like the pass catching ability to project as like a solution in the long term which means that he's subject to getting marginalized in the short term if something better comes along and i think at at this point we're kind of just waiting to see will the dolphins draft someone like jonathan taylor in the first round of the draft because if so if so then all of a sudden you know jordan howard's just a really good backup to have uh if they don't draft jonathan taylor in the first round and they don't draft swift or clyde edwards hilaire whoever it is then maybe they just go into next year with Jordan Howard as the running back and maybe they're content to see how that goes. And, you know, maybe maybe they're thinking, you know, worst case scenario, we got Howard and we got Laird for the passing downs and that should be good enough for a team with our ambitions. And it'd be totally reasonable to say all of that. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a, it's one of those things where as far as whether to invest in Jordan Howard at this point, I don't know – I don't know if it should actually raise his ADP that much. Like he, he had kind of a wide range. He was always pretty cheap up to this point, but you'd have someone like me who would sometimes take him in like the 14th or 15th. And then in other drafts, if especially if someone like me isn't in it, he could fall to like the 16th, 17th, 18th round. And I probably won't be buying if, if this signing makes Howard jump to like the 12th or 10th, because I just, I just, they have so many draft picks. I really would not be surprised to see like Swift or Edwards Hilaire or Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, whoever, somebody. And it wouldn't be surprising either if they signed another free agent running back. Like there's still guys out there like Devontae Freeman and Lamar Miller, and uh, they're not going to cost anything. So it wouldn't be shocking if Howard got some competition even before the draft. So I'd be a little careful not to not to chase him too much. But, you know, if he if he doesn't 
get competition that pushes him out of the starting lineup, he could be a real good pick this year because he, he still is a good runner. He's 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 not like a breakaway runner. He's not an agile, exciting, elusive runner, but he generates yardage very reliably. And you know, a team like the Dolphins, they're they're going to have usage up for grabs in the backfield. The question is just like what people are going to compete for it. And if, if the competition is between Jordan Howard, Patrick Laird and miles Gaskin, I know who's leading that backfield and rushing yardage. Yeah, exactly. It's just a, ma- a matter, like you said, of what the rest of the off season uh, has in store for that dolphins backfield. Um, and then looking at, at the current ADPs right now, dating back to Monday, uh, he's going in the same neighborhood around pick one thirty. Uh, right now as Alexander Madison, Chase Edmonds, uh, Justice Hill. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of the the type of running backs around there that the, you could be investing in. Yeah, I would take him over those guys. But the other the, the, the kind of like trick answer to that question is that but I'm not taking any running backs there probably like yeah. I'm probably uh, I'm probably targeting some other position because I, I just I hate that range of the draft for running backs in general. Okay, yeah, that that's your that's your Jarwin zone. I get it. Um, it's the Jarwin zone, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on. Speaking of tight ends, here before we sign off, a couple a uh, couple of moves here. So Austin Hooper gets signed by the Browns, and then the Falcons replace Hooper with Hayden Hurst. So let's get into that. Starting with Hooper. Yeah, I didn't really like the signing that much. Like Hooper's a good player, but uh, his calling card is his efficiency and his reliability underneath. And he, at his best, kind of still resembled to me not much more than like Jacob Tammy with the Broncos or something like that. He's he's just kind of a Jacob Tammy, Dennis Pitta kind of player. Probably better than them both, but not by enough to justify, in my opinion, uh, spending as much on him as Cleveland did. Because he's he's not really a blocker. He's he's kind of one dimensional, and within that one dimension, he doesn't have a downfield threat. Like he's he's. He's he's almost half dimensional in a way because he doesn't his one dimension is as a pass catcher, but you can't use him just like every way as a pass catcher. He's just kind of like a curl route kind of guy. Uh, He's he's more underneath than anything. He's very reliable in that range. Like he had a really high uh, catch rate in yards for, for his low yards per target. He had a very high catch rate. He kind of had like a Michael Thomas at tight end thing going on. Where it's like he's not taking the top off the defense, but he generates first downs as well as basically anybody in recent years. My my worry is that a part of that was probably like the byproduct of playing next to Julio Jones and even Calvin Ridley. And uh, as much as I I still think Odo Beckham is awesome, uh, I don't think that going to Cleveland will be quite the same scenario. So I think that whereas uh, Hooper was well above the baseline in Atlanta in terms of efficiency and and reliability he had no explosiveness even then so i think going to a higher difficulty scenario like cleveland is one where he will drift downward toward the baseline in terms of efficiency and there still won't be any more explosiveness so it's just a classic case in my opinion of overpaying like he'll still be a good player but i I just don't see the reason to chase what he offers uh but he's he's a much better pass catching threat in the meantime uh, at least underneath than David and Joku, but I also that's also part of the reason why I don't like the signings because like David and Joku was a player they should have known would need development time. He was a twenty year old rookie, and tight ends always take longer to develop, and they took him with no intention of waiting. Like how, or, or at least I don't know the the new regime. Uh, I guess that was a Sashi pick, um, but you know it's like Sashi wouldn't have made this signing basically, so I hate it. <laughs> okay, all right, well, that uh, 
Yeah, that sums it up uh, pretty well then. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a muddy situation in, in Cleveland. And I, I don't know, I, I have some protect, maybe baseless optimism that, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of throw last year out with the bathwater and, and believe in what I saw more so down the stretch for the Browns in 2018 than, than thinking that this collection of talent is more along the lines of what what we saw on the field last year. So maybe things start to click, but I don't I don't know with that with the in, introduction of that second tight end of the into the equation. You know whether two of those guys can function together, uh, whether one of them wins out. You, you'd almost imagine at this point that the Browns want to make that Hooper contract start paying off right away. Oh yeah, like you said, it's it's a big one, and and you know they they do have. And Joku on on a rookie deal, uh, even still. So uh, you know what? Uh, sorry, the Hooper signing specifically displaces Kareem Hunt's second half role. He was basically playing like an H back in that offense, and now they're not going to have room for that. So they're going to have to either like split carries between Chubb and Hunt, or they're going to have to make Hunt uh, basically a you know a twenty percent of snaps kind of player. And they're, they're doing – both of those sound bad to me, by the way. And they gave Hunt uh, and it, a second-round tender. Is that right? right? Yeah. So it's like I, I don't know what they – I don't know what they think they're going to do unless they cut Jarvis Landry or trade Odell Beckham. It's like there's just no usage to make these assets give a return that's worth what they're spending on them. Yeah, so kind of a, kind of a rough setup there in in that sense. So we'll we'll see what shakes out there, and then let's finish it out. Uh, your favorite topic, uh, Hayden Hurst. Yeah, um, he's uh, he's so good. Um, yeah, I I don't really know what it is with the NFL and Hayden Hurst, but uh, it's like it's like David Hasselhoff in Germany or something. Like they just there's this in. This inexplicable thing where they they're all huge fans and it's not the case anywhere else in the world. And <laughs> it's just it's bizarre. But, you know, whatever. Uh, it's a good trade for the Ravens. Um, they got that's a bailout, by the way. When you take Hayden Hurst, 25th overall, uh, seven picks before Lamar Jackson. And then two years later, you get a second round pick for it. That's that's charity on the part of the Falcons, who are a dumb team, and they're doing a bad job in every respect and have been for years. So, uh, but it's good for the Ravens that that teams like the Falcons exist, because uh, otherwise they'd probably just have to cut Hurst after this year, because uh, he's not. No one's no one's paying a first round contract to their third tight end. Um, so, Hurst, first of all, he was going in like the last round, eighteenth round of, of best ball draft. So if you drafted him in that range you got a clear value because even if he's bad basically any starting atlanta falcons tight end is going to pay off at that price and as much as i don't think hearst is worth a first round pick and certainly not worth taking ahead of lamar jackson he can do some stuff it's like if he had been a fourth round pick i would have had no problem with it but uh yeah first round stupid stupid people bad at bad at thinking generally and bad at identifying good football players bad at uh bad at figuring out which way the wind is blowing etc but uh, he's gonna get work and he was a very cheap pick up and up until now so i probably won't get any shares unfortunately because i'm assuming his price tag is going to jump up to the 12th round or something like that in which range i still much prefer tj hawkinson and blake jarwin probably even probably even prefer ian thomas over uh, at least in ppr i probably prefer ian thomas in ppr over uh hurst but yeah he could be uh, he's gonna be a top 15 tight end the question is does he push for like the top eight 
top 12 what kind of upside he has week to week things right, the, like that the thing about him is like the the unknown because he had a, a total washout as a rookie and then you know it's nobody basically in the league except for you know, two or three guys was going to get uh get like the targets over mark andrews in that offense a year ago so yeah there, there's the unknown element but there is also the, the advanced age variable um that you talk about as well so you know how how much room for skills growth is there really um, versus, None. you know, the, the relative inexperience at the NFL level? Like he's football young in that sense. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't expect him to like rep, replicate Hooper's numbers one to one or anything like that. But I, I think you have like a very, you know, logical framing of it where like he, he will be like a useful player in two tight end leagues and someone that, you know, you can that can be rostered in 12 team leagues. Yeah, I think he could be a useful starter in in uh, not like as in a league winner type, but a glue guy, like a, a starting PPR tight end who, uh, if you lose this year, it's not because of him necessarily. It's it's not because of him. Uh, but yeah, actually, the Hayden Hurst trade, I think there's greater significance even in uh, Mark Andrews's respect because he only played 467 snaps last year and he still had 800 yards and 10 touchdowns. Uh, that's that's like 500 fewer snaps than Zach Ertz, who had basically the same fantasy point total. So clearing out Hurst clears a path for Andrews to push for 700 snaps. And if you don't, if even if you re, even if you project substantial regression on a per snap basis, he still projects as a clear top three tight end in that case, in my opinion. And uh, I think he, he's my tight end too. That I'm not considering kittle over andrews especially when andrews is uh, at least so far cheaper by a couple rounds yeah I, I like that call a lot you're obviously uh preaching to the choir on that one um so that's gonna round yes. things out uh for today's show do you have any uh shows or movies that you're watching that that uh those of us who are socially isolating uh could pass the time with oh man <laughs> Man, there's there's the list of like what I'm watching right now, which is uh, you know I'm kind of being strategic. I'm I'm trying to save the best of some things for last, so I'm kind of I'm kind of. I watched a Leprechaun my... movie yesterday, so like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been uh, watching uh, a lot of Top Chef, and uh, this is not to say like that's kind of a disposable show to me. I'm 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 rewatching. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Not as not because it's disposable, but because I've seen it already. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm eventually probably, you know, especially depending on how the, the quarantine turns here, I, I might go into some twin peaks kind of, uh, spooky territory or, um, if I, if I need a lift or, or and if I'm not jarred, rattled by, by the, uh, real life symmetry. Otherwise I might, I might watch, uh, the last man on earth again, just cause I love Will Forte. I've already watched like all the Tim Robinson stuff 500 times in the past couple of weeks, but which by the way, John, you, you need to watch the Tim Robinson, the characters episode. Oh yeah. I'm, uh, I'm reporting back on that shortly. So funny. So good. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have any, any worthwhile recommendations that haven't already been like, you know, tossed out there on Twitter. I don't know. I've sort of like how you've been rewatching always sunny. I've, I've, been rewatching archer i forgot how funny that that show was especially in in its earlier season so if you need like some light-hearted comedy like while while it's on while you're like working from home uh that that's a good one um i wouldn't recommend the leprechaun gonna... movie that i saw though <laughs> yeah i'm definitely gonna rewatch the venture brothers at some point in this thing uh that that's a that's like a religious experience for me whenever i go back into the venture brothers and uh you know, this these circumstances allow me to properly immerse myself 
Yeah, they, they absolutely do. So it, if, if there is even a sliver of silver lining in this, at least uh, there's some of that. But Mario, really appreciate uh, you taking the time and, and recording this episode. Glad we got to sit down and do this. Uh, we will get, be given, uh, you know, periodic updates on Twitter as to when we'll be putting out these podcasts over these next uh, couple of weeks and everything like that. But otherwise, that's going to wrap things up for today's show. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast.